Parenting Great Kids is supported by Sock Fancy. Awesome, random socks delivered every month to your door. There are hundreds of designs made from over 70% premium combed cotton for supremely comfortable and durable socks. You never get the same pair twice. It's free shipping anywhere in the world, free exchanges. You can cancel anytime. And I'm telling you, friends, I love my socks. Subscribe now and get an extra pair of socks added to any subscription for free when you go to www.sockfancy.com forward slash Meg right now and enter the code capital M-E-G at checkout. That's sockfancy.com forward slash Meg to get a free pair added to your subscription when you enter the code capital M-E-G at checkout. And we're also sponsored by Toka TV. Toka TV is the most playful video streaming experience for kids. No third-party advertising or sponsored content. Only videos that will make your child laugh, be inspired, and simply have fun. So have peace of mind by knowing every video is handpicked and pre-screened by Toka Boca to ensure it's safe, enjoyable, and awesome for your child. Download Toka TV on the App Store today to try it for free. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 17, The Holidays. You can actually enjoy them. Yes, you can. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. And you know, I'm excited because I love Christmas time. The holidays are a time when my kids come home and I get to bake, but they're also a time that can be very stressful for many people. And my goal in helping you as parents is to help remove some of that stress. I want this Christmas time for you to be a time when you are filled with more joy, where you experience a peace that maybe you've never had before, where you feel that you have the freedom to remove some of the stresses that have weighed you down in holidays past. Because remember, Christmas is a time to celebrate. It's a time to celebrate life, the life of God coming to earth to help you, to save you, to love you. Because the real message of Christmas is God reaching down from the heavens, looking you in the eye and saying, I love you. That's what the spirit of Christmas is all about. Also, today I'll be featuring some social media questions, one in particular written in by a dad about how to deal with his three-year-old child who recently lost her grandmother. What should dad say? How should he handle it? And you know, that's a situation that I personally went through with my granddaughter, and I know a lot of parents and grandparents go through that. So we're going to talk about that for a little bit. And in this episode, I'm going to do something very special. It's Christmas time, and I have not just three points to ponder, but four. I wanted you to have an extra gift from me. 
And I don't know if you struggle with some of the things that I do during the holidays, but I imagine that many of you, at least moms and wives out there do, who are trying to cook and bake and make everybody happy. Holidays can be very, very stressful. So we're going to talk about that today on my podcast. Finally, parents, I want to remind you that when you listen to the podcast, don't just download the episodes, click subscribe. Because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution. And every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. You won't regret it. I thank you for listening to the podcast. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if you weren't out there listening to them. But as I do them and write them, I want to know what you need and what you need to hear about, what you like and what you don't like. So please, if you would just take a couple of minutes to write a review of the podcast, go to iTunes. I would really appreciate it. Parents, I've got a free download just for you. It's a holiday survival guide. Learn how to enjoy the holidays, show your kids how to appreciate the season, and avoid the traps such as spending too much money and getting into fights with your in-laws. You know what I'm talking about. The holidays are stressful. So let me give you this free download. It's a holiday survival guide. Go to megmeekermd.com forward slash holidays. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 17, The Holidays. You can actually enjoy them. So I'd like to give you some tips, parents, particularly moms out there who are running around like a crazy person trying to make the holidays more enjoyable for everybody else, but feeling stressed and exhausted. But that's really not how to go through the holidays. This is a time when we should really be a little more pensive, more meditative, more reflective, and paying attention to relationships and slowing down rather than speeding up. So it's Christmas time. Let's give ourselves a Christmas present. Let's decide that this year, we're going to do Christmas a little differently. We really can do it if we're intentional about it. Now, I have a list of four things I want to talk about. Each one of you may have different things, but I think that these are common threads that I've seen in myself and in many of my friends, men and women alike out there who are working hard, working overtime during the holidays to make them more enjoyable for other people. I think one of the first traps that we fall into is this, unrealistic expectations. You know, so many of us feel pressure to make our children's and our friends' holidays perfect. We draw pictures in our minds of what we want Christmas to look like and what we want our kids to feel like when they open the gifts from us or what we want our aunt or our mother or our father to finally say to us that they've never said to us before. We want warmth. We want congeniality. We want enjoyment. We want people to love one another and to be comfortable. We want to all get along. But the truth of the matter is, holidays don't usually go like that. So I think that one of the most important things we need to do is we need to confront and battle our unrealistic expectations. Second thing we need to do is confront the fatigue factor. The truth of the matter is, fatigue is really, really hard because we stay up later, we work harder, we work hard at the office, at the home, and we just run ourselves down and we see a lot of sick people in the end of December and early January in our practice because they're so run down. The third thing I want to talk about is fear of relationship conflict. And friends, this is a big one. You know, holidays are a time when everybody gets together. 
when you see Aunt Jean that you haven't seen in two years, and she's still the same Aunt Jean that's mean and cruel and says nasty things to your kids behind your back, but you're kind of hoping that this year she won't say those things, well, the truth is Aunt Jean's probably going to be just like she was two years ago. But we anticipate the conflict in relationships, and we so desperately want things to be nicer and better. So we need to anticipate and learn how we're going to deal with any kind of relationship conflict, or maybe even avoid it altogether. Then finally, we're going to talk about money issues. You know, many parents go into tremendous amount of debt during the holidays. Again, the reason we do it is very well-intentioned, and our motives are good and they're right. We want to make things really good for other people. We want our spouse or our kids to know how much we appreciate them. We want our kids to feel that they are loved as much as their other friends, and sometimes for many of us that translates into giving our kids the same amount of gifts or the same quality gifts that their friends give because we know that our kids are going to go back to school and say, what did you get? So those are the four big things that I really want to touch down on. So let's go first and dive into unrealistic expectations. I don't think I've ever met a parent, at least a mom, who doesn't have unrealistic expectations of herself and how fun the holidays will be, how well everybody's going to get along, and how easy the holidays should be. I think many of us think of our friends and think of our friends at home, you know, cooking these beautiful meals perfectly, and the house smells nice, and everything's picked up, and, you know, they've bought all of their gifts a month ahead of time, and everything is wrapped, and the kids are well-behaved, and the kids are sitting at the table and saying thank you to everybody, and life is just so good, and we're not experiencing that, and then we wonder what's wrong with us. I know that a lot of mothers and grandmothers are like I am. And this is what we do as the holidays come around the corner. We set ourselves up to fail because we have a list of things that we want to do in our mind that really are very, very unrealistic. I want to bake all of the traditional cookies that each of my kids likes. And I want every one of my four kids and now their spouses to have the cookies that are their favorite that remind them of how nice home is and how much they love their mother. So when they smell that nutmeg and the cinnamon, they're going to smell that smell that makes them realize they really miss their mom for a long time and they want to stay at my house longer. I do. I do. That's what I want to communicate in the cookies that I bake. I want to keep the house in decent shape and in case friends come over and they realize that I'm really not so much of a slob as I really am. I want family to come by and I want my mother-in-law to come by. And even after 35 years, I want her to be very happy that I married her son. Not that she shouldn't be, but I just want to, you know, make sure she feels happy that I married her son. I want to keep the house in good orders. I want to buy the right presents for my kids so that they're happy even though they have everything and more. I want them to open them with smiles. When my kids were younger, I wanted to go to all of their holiday events. I wanted to invite all of my girlfriends over for coffee. I wanted to serve them lunch, maybe a dinner, what have you. Get together to let them know how much I appreciated them. I wanted to make sure that my kids were happy. My home was beautifully decorated inside and out. I wanted to entertain coworkers by gifts for teachers, the postal carriers, send holiday cards, etc., etc. And then when I would flop in exhaustion the day after Christmas, I wondered why. The list that so many of us men and women, moms and grandmoms, 
make for ourselves is outrageous. And it's no wonder that we get angry, exhausted, and we feel defeated at the holidays because we set ourselves up for this. So how do we counter that? How do we combat that? First of all, this is what I encourage you to do. I would write down now What are the things you feel as a mom or dad you need to do between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Make an exhaustive list from the most important at the top of the page to the least important at the bottom of the page. When you're done writing the list, I want you to put it right in front of you and I want you to read the whole list. I want you to look at it. Now, I want you to fold the paper in half and I want you to cross off the bottom half of the paper with a big X. These are the things that you are not going to do this year. And if those things include cleaning your house or buying perfect presents or entertaining your coworkers or inviting all your friends over to lunch, they are scratched off. You're only going to do the things on the top half of the page. And now you're going to write, I will do these things at the top of the page. And then you're going to take another piece of paper and say, I will not and then you fill in everything on the bottom half of the page. Here's your list of things you will do, but you also need to write down the things you won't do because when that time comes, when you feel like, I just have to do that, I have to invite these friends over, I gotta show appreciation, you look at that paper and you say, I committed to myself that I will not do these things. I don't have to do that. You need to post it in your bedroom somewhere and you need to hold yourself accountable to do the things you said you do and to not do the things that you said you wouldn't do. Now you need to combat the next important thing and that is fatigue. You need to really work hard at pacing yourself. You need to start going to bed earlier. This is a really big problem, and I know it's really hard. The problem is if you're exhausted, stress becomes bigger, anger gets bigger, frustration gets bigger, and you start taking out on on people that you really don't want to. You turn into a person you really don't want to be when you're exhausted. And I know what this is like because I felt exhaustion that goes into my bones where I just couldn't keep my eyes open. It's very, very painful thing. So what I would like you to work on this holiday season to avoid fatigue, avoid burnout, is first of all, schedule one night at the beginning, the middle, and near the end of the month where you will have nothing planned and you refuse to fill in anything on those evenings. You mark them off on those calendar. And those are the nights when nobody can come over and you can't go anywhere and your kids can't have anything planned. Those are your evenings that you're going to have quiet at home. You're going to put the kids to bed early or you're going to go out by yourself or with your spouse for an hour or two just to get some rest. And when you come home, you're going to go to bed early. Everybody can find nights where they say no to everyone, yes to themselves, and they give themselves quiet and they go to bed early. The other thing that you need to do to combat fatigue is during the holidays, force yourself to go to bed a little bit earlier. Peel 15 minutes off the end of your day and go to bed at quarter of 11 instead of 11. Go to bed half an hour earlier if you can. I know this is a hard discipline, but honestly, Night after night after night of giving yourself an extra 15 or 30 minutes of sleep, it really rolls into the next week and it gives you so much more energy and you're so much more joyful and you're so much nicer to be around if you're more rested. 
One of the other things that can make us very, very tired during the holidays is we eat different foods than we're used to. We eat more foods than we're used to, and we just overeat, and that makes our sugar levels go high and our sugar levels go low, and that makes us feel very, very tired. So we need to monitor what we eat as well. And one of the things that I find is kind of easy for me to do is I have on days and off days. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I can eat whatever I want. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, I have to eat what I normally eat. And that means not having a lot of sweets and not having a lot of rich foods. So in other words, pace yourself even with overeating and eating unusual foods. And that will really help spare some of that energy. So those are just a few ways that you can compound that fatigue factor. Now let's turn and talk about relationships and relationship conflict. You know, as well as I do, that holidays are a time when depression goes through the roof for a lot of people. Anxiety goes through the roof. Um, Suicide rates go up. And why does this happen? Well, you know, social scientists and psychiatrists and psychologists will have a lot to say about this. But fundamentally, I think that it all comes down to conflict in significant relationships. Holidays are the times when we want our bad relationships to be better. Holidays are times when we reflect on the relationship that maybe we had with mom and dad that was very, very painful. And we look around and we wish that they were otherwise. We look around and think at the holiday time. You know, holidays are a time when we're supposed to have great relationships with our parents. And and again, we sort of fantasize in our minds about what we wish our relationships with our mother and father would have been like. And in some ways, we begin to grieve that they aren't what we had wanted them to be. And we wish that they were different, and we hope that we're different. And in a sort of a fantastical way, if you will, and many adults do this, I've done it myself, we think, this Christmas... When I see my mom, this Christmas when I see my uncle or my grandmother or my father, this Christmas is going to be the time when it's going to change. When my dad is finally going to say, you know what, son, I really loved you all those years, but I never told you. Or that mother who drank too much and was so cruel and mean and never paid any attention is going to show up at Christmas dinner and not be drunk. And it's going to look you in the eye and say, you know what, I love you so much, I'm so sorry. Even though in our minds we know that's probably not going to happen, there's part in each of us that's going to hope that maybe this Christmas, maybe this holiday, that could happen. And we hold out that wish and we hold out that hope and that sort of sets us up again, unrealistic expectations, that maybe it will happen and when it doesn't, and when dad shows up and he doesn't say I love you, and he doesn't make eye contact, and he doesn't have a gift, and he comes in with his new girlfriend this time, and doesn't say thank you after you prepared a nice meal. He's the same old, same old. We are again, once again, disappointed that nothing has changed. The way we combat setting ourselves up for disappointment is to say, a month ahead of time, three weeks ahead of time, okay, My dad isn't different, and my mom isn't different, my grandmother isn't different, and my aunt or my uncle, whoever that person is that you have a great conflict in your relationship with, 
say to yourself ahead of time or dialogue with a good friend or dialogue with your spouse. What are we going to do with mom and dad this year? Do we want to get together? Many people feel obliged to be with the person they're having a conflict with. Why do you need to be with that person? Set a priority. What do you want this holiday to be for you? If you want your holiday to be conflict-free with your kids and you, then maybe this Christmas you don't invite mom and dad over for Christmas dinner, or you don't invite Aunt Betty or Uncle Joe or Grandma or Grandpa. And maybe you look like the mean person in the family, but you know what? If you want to make this Christmas genuinely different, a different experience for you and your family, you take charge of your immediate family and you create the Christmas you want with your children. And you say no to people that you have a conflict with. You have the right to do that. And I would say in many ways you have the obligation to your family to do that, to keep conflict at bay. Get together with those loved ones in January. Say, I'm so sorry we can't come to Christmas dinner with all 35 of you. We're going to be on our own this Christmas, but we would love to be with you in January on this date. And everybody may hoot and holler, but maybe that's what you need to do this year. Avoid bad conflict because you as an adult know That person that you're having a conflict with is the same person this year as they were last Christmas and the Christmas before and the Christmas before. Spare yourself and your family a lot of angst and a lot of stress by planning to not deal with that conflict. Christmas and the holidays are not the time to settle family disputes. They're not the time to... Tell yourself or find out that finally mom or dad is different. They're not different. Figure that all out in January or February. Christmas is the time for you to come together and rejoice with your loved ones in a very simple way that God is alive and real and God sent his son to you and you are going to celebrate his son's birthday. That's it. Keep it very simple. So three or four weeks ahead of time, anticipate the conflict that could arise. Then come up with a plan on how to avoid that conflict. And maybe that means saying no to the person who is going to stir all that conflict in your family. And take a hard line and say, this Christmas, we're going to live a little bit differently. You have the right to do that. We need to take a break for a quick moment, but we'll be back. Don't go away. If you're like me, the shelf space in your bathroom is precious real estate. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to a line of beauty products that's as great at multitasking as you are. Kapari. These are products that moisturize skin and hair, smell great, but without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Instead, Kapari products are made with 100% organic coconut oil. Friends, coconut balm is my favorite because I have very dry skin on my face and my arms. I love it. Kapari searched around the world for an oil of the highest quality with a great aroma and a non-gritty texture that you can apply head to toe. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash Meg to get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, 
K-O-P-A-R-I-Beauty.com slash Meg for 20% off. I would love to introduce you to BitsBox, a fantastic tool to engage your little one's developing mind, giving them the tools to create the technology they consume. BitsBox is a subscription box that arrives in the mail once a month full of app coding projects that teach curious kids as young as six to build real apps with real code for real devices. Kids can use BitsBox as soon as they can read and write using simple, easy-to-understand commands to create cool apps that really work. With BitsBox, kids get to program video games, puzzles, drawing tools, music apps, and more that they can use and share on any computer, tablet, or phone with a web browser. Listeners of Parenting Great Kids can get 20% off any BitsBox subscription at bitsbox.com forward slash Meg. Parents, not all screen time is created equal. Make sure your kiddos count with BitsBox. My fourth point of battle and stress, the money factor. How are you going to deal with money? And friends, I want to tell you, this is a place where I really, really struggle. I am a giver of gifts. I am a person who feeds people that I love. I bake things for people that I love. I give food. I make gifts. I buy gifts. I wrap gifts. I love giving things to people because to me, that's how you express your love to people. For my husband, that's not the way you express love, but for me, that is. And I'm the kind of person, like many, many mothers out there, I want my kids to be happy. I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to feel special. And to me, that means buying them gifts that they would like to have. That means that I, like many women out there and other mothers out there, have a tendency to overspend. And then if you overspend, you may feel good Christmas Day, but then January 1st comes and then the bills start coming in. And then you take a big deep breath and you try to figure out where you're going to find the money to pay the bills that you just incurred. Here's one of the best ways I know to avoid that trap. And again, you have to do this ahead of time. I can't come up just with an overall budget, so this is what I do. I count out how many people in my family I'm going to buy a gift for, and I have a lot of people in my family because I have four kids and three sons-in-laws and two grandkids, so that's a lot of gifts to buy. I set a budget per person. I will spend X amount on every person in the family so that all of my gifts are equal, and I buy one gift per person except the grandkids. (laughs) You know, that's a little bit tough. I set a budget for the grandkids, but I say this year, kids, everybody gets one gift per person and that's the way it's going to be. And then I encourage my kids to do a kids exchange. They buy one gift for one of their siblings, not all of their siblings. So really rein it in and simplify gift giving. It's so much more fun because you don't have the stress of how are you going to pay the bills? Because the truth is, if you're a gift giver like I am and you want to give that special gift and you or you have a tendency to overspend for your kids, you know as well as I that overspending is our problem. It's not our kids' problem because a day after Christmas, after our kids have torn through the gifts and they've played with a toy, a day or two or three or at least a month out they're going to forget what you actually gave them. So at the time you're paying 
the bills for all the stuff that you bought your kids, your kids have forgotten what you actually bought them because they've been there, done that, played with it. It's broken. It's in their closet. It's over with. So make your gifts more special by making them fewer. Give them one gift. Keep your bills small. Keep everything manageable and hold yourself to that and hold yourself accountable to a budget. It will really, really help you as you walk through Christmas. Those are the things that have really helped me over the years to really enjoy Christmas. The first is keep your expectations of what you're going to do very, very realistic and keep them simple. Pay attention to your fatigue. Pay attention to the food that you're going to eat. Pace yourself. Be selfish with your time. Mark nights off on the calendar where nobody can come over and nobody can go out of the house. These are evenings that you are going to have just for yourself. Make yourself go to bed earlier. Be realistic about the relationships that you have with people and what you want to accomplish with those relationships at Christmas time. Do you want to be with those people that you've fought with before? Do you want to be with the people who are going to say mean things to you and arouse those deep, ugly feelings again? You have the right to say no. You have the right and sometimes the obligation to your kids to protect yourselves from that and to put some boundaries around the holiday and meet with those people that you have conflict with later in the year. And then finally, the money issues. Keep it simple. Make a budget per person, one gift per person. Get it early, wrap it, forget about it. And I'll tell you, the fewer gifts you give your kids, the larger their anticipation will be because they know they're getting fewer. And involve yourself in other kinds of activities. Involve your kids in anything that you can do and helping other people and get them out of the house, get their minds off of gifts. And I had a lot of ideas that I talked about in my podcast on teaching service and gratitude to kids, particularly during the holidays. It's a great way to get your mind and their mind off the stress of the holidays by looking at and serving other people. These are my gifts to you, friends. They've worked for me. They've worked for many of the friends that I know because I've lived through many, many, many holidays, and I've seen a lot of great holidays and some very, very painful holidays, and I really know how to avoid the conflict and how holidays are the time to enjoy and rejoice and be pensive and reflective and prayerful. And I've learned to be a bit selfish about the holidays too, to protect and guard my holidays for the sake of myself and for the sake of my kids, because I know I'm not good to anybody, my kids or my grandkids or my husband, if I'm exhausted, if I've spent too much money, if I'm disappointed with myself, and particularly if I've been in a bad relationship with somebody. So this holiday... Any one of these survival tips will bring you great joy. It will relieve a lot of stress for you. It will make you a happier person during the holidays and after the holidays. Because now you can go on and enjoy the week after Christmas because you won't be exhausted and in huge debt. They're holiday tips to help you enjoy the holiday and you can. Let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to megmeekermd.com and click on the links. 
you can send me a question on Facebook or email it to me at askmeg at megmeekermd.com or send me a tweet at megmeekermd. Our first question comes from Dan, and he writes, Hi, Dr. Meg. My wife and I have two daughters, 12 and 15. We gave them each iPhones without phone service last November. They use them for games, YouTube, and and things like that on our home Wi-Fi. But their eyes are always glued to the screens, and they get angry if we threaten to take away their devices or turn off our home Wi-Fi. Family time seems like an inconvenience to them because they're always on their phones, and they don't read or go outside or get exercise like they used to do. I can't think of one pleasant conversation about iPhone usage, and emotions always run high when the topic is brought up. Do you have any suggestions or strategies that we could try? I'd appreciate it. Dan, what a wonderful question, and you are in the same boat as many, many parents are, particularly with young teens and pre-adolescents who have just given their kids iPhones, and kids are entranced by the iPhones. One of the things that we're learning about electronics and screens with kids is really fascinating because there's some research coming out about what we know now screens like iPhones and iPad do to kids. There's a lot of research coming out about electronics and kids and their use and and the effect that it has on kids and particularly their brains. Dr. Peter Weibrow is Director of Neuroscience at UCLA and he calls screens electronic cocaine. Chinese researchers have also called them digital heroin. Now, these are very, very strong words, but I think it's important for us parents to hear them and to recognize that iPhones and laptops and iPads and electronics in general, whether kids are gaming or whether doing YouTube or watching a movie, have a very powerful effect on our kids' psyche and their brains. In other words, I'm not surprised that your girls have their eyes glued to the screens and that they get angry when you take them away. Think about it. Think about if you'd handed them cigarettes. Now, I know you would never hand them cigarettes, but work with me here. Imagine your kids started smoking. They've been smoking for a couple of years, maybe 10 cigarettes a day. Because we know that the average child, 12 to 15, is on their electronics about 8 to 10 hours per day between social media and school and work and movies and so on and so forth. That's a lot of time during the day. Now, imagine your your girls were smoking 10 cigarettes a day and you came to them and said, hey, girls, I want you to stop. These aren't healthy for you. And you grab the pack of cigarettes out of their hands. What would they do? They would start to panic. Why? Because they're addicted to cigarettes. They're addicted to the nicotine. In many ways, kids quickly become addicted to screens. When I hear that kids are screaming and having panic attacks and reacting very, very strongly to a parent taking a device away from them, that's a red flag that something more is going on than just a child or a teenager enjoying their phone or using it for recreation. It could be that your daughters are becoming addicted to their devices. I don't know for sure, but I'm telling you that this is a possibility because I think more kids are getting more addicted to screens than we realize because I think we still don't really know how strong of an influence these have over our kids, but we're beginning to because research is coming up. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Deal with the issue head on. 
You probably need Wi-Fi in your house. So is it realistic to pull Wi-Fi out of your house? Probably not. Can you take food out of your house? No. Kids need to learn to live in and around electronics, just like kids need to learn to live in and around food, to respect it, to respect that it has tremendous power in their lives. It can have power over them, but they need to learn to live with it and deal with it and not allow that thing to have power over them to the point that if you take it away, they're miserable people to be around. This isn't healthy for them. So this is what I would encourage you to do. And I see many kids like your daughters in my practice. I would sit down and say, listen, here are my concerns. You're using your phones too much. Too much use isn't good for you, me, mom, anybody. So this is what's going to happen. You get two hours per day or whatever amount of time you feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable with a half hour, if you feel comfortable with three hours a night, you're in charge. You set it and say, you are allowed to use this device from this time to this time in the evening. When it's done, the device is handed to me. End of story. Now, they're going to throw fits and they're going to scream and they're going to retaliate. Oh, well. 15-year-olds can have temper tantrums exactly like two-year-olds. The only problem is they're louder and they scream louder and they can slam doors and do all sorts of nasty things to you because they're bigger. But oh well, you're not going to have a pleasant conversation. It's going to be ugly. But remember, you're breaking a pre-addiction here. So this is going to get ugly. But your dad... You're in charge, and this is what's going to happen. It's going to be awful to live with for a few weeks, but oh well. If they don't comply with your rules, they don't have a phone. You just take it away. You don't want to rip the Wi-Fi because probably you may need it for work. I know my husband and I are physicians. We have to have Wi-Fi for our work. So rather than depriving your whole family of Wi-Fi, you've got to train your kids how to learn to do it. So the first thing you do is you figure out what hours of the evening they can and cannot use their iPhones. Then you write them down. You make them both adhere to the same rules. And when that time is up, they give you their phone. They don't go to bed with the phone in the room. Every electronic should be charged in the kitchen. If you don't trust your kids to keep it in the kitchen, then it comes in the bedroom with you. And again, it's going to be ugly because you have to break the pre-addiction, but this is just what has to happen. So I think your expectations of having a pleasant conversation are really unreasonable because it's not going to happen. Again, I would encourage you to do this and not turn off your Wi-Fi altogether. And I want to encourage you in one thing. You can be successful at this. It takes time. It's probably going to take a couple of months. I've had kids who are truly addicted who've taken many months to wean off of electronics. I've seen kids who use them up to 12 hours a day and they're dropping out of every other part of their lives. So if they can be weaned off of electronics and screens, so can your daughters. I would like to encourage you, Dan, to listen to a podcast I recently did with Dr. Josh Straub. It's podcast number 10 called The Text Generation. And Dr. Straub goes into a lot of helpful tips on how parents can navigate this really dicey territory with our kids. He's very knowledgeable about the effects of technology in kids and how to help our kids live with it in a reasonable way because it's not going away. So I strongly recommend that you listen to it. It's podcast 10, The Text Generation with Dr. Josh Straub. Our next question comes from Ralph, and Ralph writes, Dr. Meg, my son is three years old and just lost his 55-year-old grandmother. He keeps asking for her and asking where she is. We can't seem to get the right words to get him to understand what happened to her and where she's gone. Do you have any suggestions for me? Thank you. 
Ralph, first of all, my condolences for the loss of this precious woman in your life. Death of a loved one is always a very difficult thing to go through, and it's particularly hard when you have little children that you're trying to help through the loss as well. But there are ways that you can navigate this territory and do it in a way that's, that's really very healthy for your kids. First of all, at three, a child can't conceptualize that a person is living in a different place or has a different life. They're either there or they're not there. And he's wondering why grandma isn't in the living room or in the kitchen or why grandma isn't coming to his house anymore. So when you explain death to him, you have to use very, very simple black and white terms that are very concrete. I just experienced this with my three-year-old granddaughter. She lost her other grandmother. You say to your son, honey, grandma can't come over anymore because grandma isn't living anymore. Now, he's not going to understand what that is, but that's okay. Grandma won't be here because grandma has gone on to live with God. Now, if you are a Christian or you believe in heaven and you can legitimately say that, say that if that's your belief. If that's not your belief, then you would say something like, you know, honey, grandma won't be coming over anymore because grandma isn't living anymore. She doesn't live in her house. She's gone away. And I think that's the best you can say. If you do have a faith, and this is what we did with our granddaughter, we said, Grandma has gone to live with God, and she's in heaven. You can't see heaven. We can't see heaven. It's a wonderful place. Grandma is very happy, and she loves being there, and she misses you, but she won't be able to come to our house anymore, and we won't be able to see her. So, you keep it very, very simple, and if he cries, he cries. Every child handles grief differently. Some kids grieve a lot. Some kids don't grieve at all because they really just don't understand. But, you know, whenever he asks where grandma is, you just simply kneel down and you look at him. You make eye contact with him. You look into his eyes and say, honey, remember I told you grandma is in heaven and she can't come see us anymore. But one day, a long way away, you will be able to see her again, but she is happy and you're going to be okay because I'm here taking care of you. Keep it very simple. Let him talk about it. Don't over-explain yourself. Tell him the truth. Don't be graphic about how she died or anything like that, but let him know that grandma is safe and grandma's okay and grandma's in a good place. And eventually he'll accept that. So, Ralph, again, my condolences for you. You're doing a great job, and I just hope you find a lot of joy and peace this wonderful season. So, parents, send me your questions. Go to askmeg at megmeekermd.com, or you can send me a tweet, and my tweet is at megmeekermd. As we close this holiday special, I hope that you have felt encouraged. I hope that you feel that this holiday can really be different than holidays past, that this can be the one that will be fun, enjoyable, less stressful for you, more conflict-free, and that you have some little nuggets that you can hold on to and use as the holidays come around the corner. So just to recap, remember, keep your expectations realistic, unrealistic expectations will set you up for failure. Watch your fatigue, go to bed earlier, be protective with your time. Pay attention to the relationship conflict and if you must, avoid it. 
because these are your holidays. And when it comes to money issues, keep things simple, make a budget, and cut down on the number of gifts you're buying because you really will do your kids a favor and you'll do yourself a big favor as well. So until next time, parents, remember, great kids are raised, not born. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Parenting Great Kids. You can like Dr. Meg on Facebook and follow her on Twitter at MegMeekerMD. Just as a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for the newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe.